2: Blue
1: Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by the co-host Nick Filato. And before we dive into some All-22 New York Giants coaches film against the Philadelphia Eagles in a game that... Quite frankly, I'll be honest with you, I've had no interest in revisiting. I did it for you guys. I did it for the pod. I did it because this is what we do. But this was a game that was really, really difficult to re-watch just because the Giants let it slip right through their hands, found really not an Atlanta Falcons-like way to lose, but whatever the next level, the next step below losing like the Falcons is, that's what the Giants have become. That's how they lost this football game. But having said that after diving into the all 22 tape we did have a lot of takeaways on both sides of the ball so we're going to break this bad boy up offense and defense like we've been doing the past few weeks we're going to talk a lot about players who can have an impact on this team not only throughout the rest of the season but potentially in 2021 and beyond because guess what folks at one and six i have officially turned the page to the 2021 season i'm not caring about how bad the nfc east is i don't care i'm sick of this team they lose in the dumbest ways they do not deserve to take it. Until they prove us wrong, go on a two-game winning streak, and I'll buy right back in. But before we talk about any of that, I wanted to get a little update.
2: How was your week going, Nick? Week's going pretty well there, Dan, other than the fact that the Giants started this week seven by blowing a he- big lead a double digit lead in the fourth quarter with about six minutes left to the philadelphia eagles it's kind of sickening to be honest And it's always the eagles you know that's what kind of makes me the most pissed off i mean we all have memories of matt dodge and it all goes back to that kind of stuff and the giants just do not win in the link and this would have been awesome for daniel jones like we went over on the last podcast and it's just it was a sickening start to this week seven to be honest and a sickening start to the week in general
1: it's been quite a roller coaster week for myself nick um lot of things to talk about it really started on thursday with just that absolute disaster of a football game that the new york giants played in and it's a disaster because they got up 21 10 we looked at each other and we said they're gonna win this game we actually we i mean i think until the ingram drop we didn't feel like they were gonna lose the game
2: i actually have something to say about that all right the moment i thought they were gonna lose was when bj hills sack got negated by the Ryan Lewis defensive holding I was yeah like, that's oh. a big
1: those are always big ones I was like oh they, about that. this is
2: just the beginning of the script right here this would be so New York Giant again not Atlanta Falcon-esque but so New York Giant which is a tier below the Atlanta Falcon kind of losses
1: yeah it really is and I didn't feel it yet I thought in, until the Ingram drop I really thought they were going to win this football game And at that point, if they win this football game, there is some hope because this is a team that could have beat the Rams. We've talked about that. They really could have. And the Rams are a solid football team. They could have beat the Bears if something else breaks that way. And even the Steelers game, if that long 80 yard Jason Garrett type drive turned into a touchdown, it really changes a lot of the momentum there in that football game. But all those games ended up being losses, just like this one. And that's what bad football teams do. The Giants, for a variety of reasons, are a bad football team. Mainly, in my mind, Dave Gettleman the roster Dave Gettleman put together. That's the number one reason. You watch this offensive line. There's nothing good to talk about. Gates has some good—we're going to get into it. Gates has some good reps. And again, these guys have good reps. We don't mean they're all bust yet. But there is so many problems. It's not just the tackles. A game like this, it truly shows you that the interior is still nowhere close to set yet. And that includes their best player on the interior, Kevin Zeitler, an older guy. So we're going to get into all of that. But my week has been a roller coaster. It started with that, and then it went so high. I got the highest of highs on Friday, Nick, the highest of highs. Wisconsin football team came into this season ranked 16. But those of you with inside Wisconsin football knowledge, and we won't talk too much Wisconsin football because I don't want another negative review. You know who you are out there who gave us a one star <laughs> review for the 10, I think it was 11 total minutes of fantasy football we talked this off season. We got a one star review, and whoever you are. Who we took the time to rate to bring us down on iTunes and screw up the algorithm. You know who you are. I hope you're not listening to this podcast. I mean, we don't want you as a listener, okay? I don't want your downloads. I don't want anything from you. I want you to leave us alone because I'm going to talk a little Wisconsin football because it's the highest of highs. As those of you who know, I'm a Wisconsin Badger graduate and a huge fan of the Wisconsin Badger football team, and I've been a giant. Obviously you know my stake on the Giants. It's been bad for us. It's been losing Giants football for years. I haven't had fun watching football for years, and I finally got it on Friday night because Graham Mertz, the best recruit in the history of Wisconsin football at the quarterback position. This is a program that constantly churns out NFL offensive linemen and unbelievable offensive lines but has never put a quarterback behind that except for the one season Russell Wilson transferred. They finally got him the third best uh, traditional quarterback recruit. Last year he redshirted. I wasn't happy about that decision but this year an injury to our first quarterback Jack Cohen brought Mertz in and the kid was lights out completely lived up to the hype. He went 20 of 21 for for uh i believe it was 206 somewhere in the 250 260 range five touchdowns one incompletion, no interceptions dating back to last year because he played a little before redshirting. he now has a five to two touchdown to incompletion percent ratio a five to two touchdown this kid is the real deal he made bucket drops he maneuvered in the pocket he was poised it was everything everyone was talking about it and that high was then taken all the way down on sunday by some unbelievably bad lucky bad luck in fantasy football including me losing by 8 points because Tyler Lockett went off for 42. And again, no more fantasy football talk, but this roller coaster just kept crashing and crashing until it finally Burn for me yesterday on Sunday night when it was revealed that Graham Mertz tested positive for COVID, and in the Big Ten that means 21 days off, which is a light lifetime considering they're playing every week. And then just now, as we hit record on this podcast, I got an alert on my phone that Chase Wolf, the John, the Wisconsin Badgers' backup quarterback, remember their third quarterback because they already lost Jack Cohn to, to a broken foot, and now Graham Mertz test positive, and now. Wolf as well has tested positive, so they are just a, they're done. It's over. The ninth ranked team in the country with all the hope in the world, one of the best offensive lines in football, one of the best defenses in football, and the phenom rookie quarterback, or freshman quarterback. It's all over for me, Nick. So things aren't going well. I, I need this need need a little pick me up here.
2: Yeah, that really sucks. And Mertz, I mean, from what you said and watched, too much of the Badgers game looked phenomenal too. So hopefully, you know, once he gets over this virus, he comes back and he starts lighting up the Big Ten. But Can you guys hold water through the next three games?
1: I think they would have potentially been able to if Chase Wolf was in. I think now that they're going to be down to their four string quarterback, it's all over. It's just an absolute disaster. And I don't know if Wolf would have been able to beat Michigan, which is three weeks from three games from now. So, anyway, back to Giants football. This all leads me to a potential high, or at least something that I'm going to use to raise myself up a bit. And that's the play of Daniel Jones, because me and Nick both felt after watching this on broadcast twice that he played a really good football game with limited mistakes. But when you watch it on the All-22, it gets even better. I mean, this is a guy who went 20 of 30. This is a guy, I get it, it's only 187 passing yards, but... That is not what you should be focusing on. You should be considering the rushing yards as well, which is more total offense the Giants needed and got. And you got to consider the big time throws that he made in this football game. There's a reason why Pro Football Focus, a website that just hates on Giants quarterbacks, it seems like, <laughs> and hasn't had anyone rated above 30, has this kid rated in the middle of the pack right now and doesn't have him rated as low as maybe his yards or raw box sport stats would suggest is because he's really doing, I know they're one in six, so it's not. it would be hyperbole to say he's putting the team on his back, but he is the only reason this offense isn't Bears-like. And for those of you who just watched Monday Night Football recording on Monday night this week, that's what a really dysfunctional offense looks like. You want to know another one? Go back and look at the end of the years of the McAdoo era with the Giants. That's a truly dysfunctional offense. This is an offense that is not great. But can move the ball and can make big plays of time and we saw in this game i thought jones with the finally getting some looks of man more man coverage and more blitzes not even always man but just blitzes from the eagles did a good job making big time throws so let's start there because i think you agree you're excited talk about the one play that has you most excited about daniel jones development in this game
2: so the one play i would say for sure it, it kind of is something that he did pre-snap and post-snap and that was a touchdown to tate it was the first and 10 with 420 left In the first quarter. So he's on the far hash. Tate's splitting the near hash and the numbers. So before, if you watch this play pre snap, Jones is kind of pointing out blitzes and he's communicating with Tate if Tate needs to run hot or if Tate is going to run the slot vert. Tate ends up running the slot vert, as you all know. And on this play, Jones diagnoses the blitz pre snap, sees the blitz post snap, knowing it's man coverage. What he does, there's a middle of the field closed safety in the middle of the field. So he looks that safety off so and
1: before you you go any further let's break down just for those because we like to go back we like to do these breakdowns i know a lot of people have commented and said thank you for doing this because a lot of people are learning the game with us and that really makes us feel good but it also makes us feel a responsibility to explain this so what do you mean by middle of the field safety for those who don't know
2: yeah so a middle of the field closed look from a from a defense is when the middle of the field essentially has a safety in it so there's two types of i guess looks you can really go with i guess three if you consider cover zero which means there's no safety that means there's a blitz so a middle of the field closed means there is a safety in the middle of the field. And middle of the field open means it's usually a too high type of defense, so that means the safeties flare out and they cover a deep half of the field. So when the middle of the field is closed, it could be a three Safety look, a three-high look, cover three. It could be a cover one look. And on this play, it was a cover one type of look. So the one safety kind of drops down into the box so the linebacker can blitz, and that safety takes Evan Ingram in man coverage, leaving the other safety alone as the middle of the field closed safety. So what Daniel Jones does is he gets this snap after diagnosing everything pre-snap, glances to Golden Tate to see if it was man coverage, saw it, and then he looks directly at the safety to hold the middle of the field Closed safety in place. He holds him in place with his eyes so that safety cannot kind of go right towards Golden Tate and give help to that slot cornerback. So, what he does is he holds that safety in place and then he goes and he just lofts it a perfect pass right over the shoulder of the defensive back into Golden Tate. And Golden Tate's just one-on-one there because Daniel Jones was able to look that safety off. And this ended up being a touchdown because Golden Tate kind of broke the arm tackle of LeBlanc, I want to say it was, and it ended up being six. And that's just a really good play by Jones because he diagnoses it pre-snap, gets the look that he thought was going to happen, diagnoses it post-snap, looks the safety off, goes back to Golden Tate, uses good footwork, his shoulders are square and perfect, throws a beautiful ball to Golden Tate, and it ends up being six points.
1: Yeah, not only is did he do all the things you said, and there's a lot of Vance stuff in there from the pre-snap, uh, from the pre-snap ability there, but also the post-snap to hold the safety. It's also as usual with Daniel Jones, and this has become a trait over his career with the Giants. Not a fully clean pocket. He does not have some, uh, a fully clean pocket to step into here. He's not getting hit while he makes the throw, but it's almost like. He's very very near, if you watch this play again on the alternative, you're seeing he's very close to having to throw off his back foot. He doesn't actually have to throw off his back foot, but he's a second away from that. And there's an arm that comes right over his left shoulder into his face right before the throw. And that part I thought was excellent. But also the fact that he puts this ball over the right shoulder of Golden Tate. It's not the perfect teardrop it was to Golden Tate against the Patriots last year on that touchdown throw. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty close. And it gives him the chance to not only make the catch. A worse throw, he just makes the catch. He goes down. The Giants are first and goal from the 10. And we've seen them bog down way too many times there. And that could lead to three. But this is the necessary throw To turn this play into seven instead of just turning this play into a first and goal at the 10. So to me, this was easily his best throw of the game. I'm with you on that. But it wasn't his only big time throw and play of this game.
2: No, it wasn't. There were actually a few other plays to Evan Ingram, who we all know what happened towards the end of the game. But there were a couple plays where Daniel Jones threw with anticipation on seven routes and flag routes to Evan Ingram, where Evan Ingram was going into his break and Daniel Jones was already releasing the football designed right by the sideline for when Evan Ingram breaks out of it he can run right towards it that's called throwing your receiver open that's called throwing with anticipation that's called splitting the zones Daniel Jones showed that and there was also the third and five in the second quarter with about 1242 left simple play was a pivot route ran excellently by Sterling Shepard who had a great game it's obvious that the Giants missed this player because he's just an excellent route runner but we'll get into him a little bit later it's a simple play third and five Sterling Shepard has a leverage, runs an excellent pivot route, but what I love about Daniel Jones is Daniel Jones waits, and he's patient, and he has to run out of the pocket because Will Hernandez gets beat terribly inside. But what Daniel Jones does, he doesn't overreact, throw it early, and then make completion or something along those lines he extends the play by backpedaling a little bit buying some time in the pocket and then dumping the ball off to a wide open sterling shepherd what he could have done here is throw it early and then sterling Shepard wouldn't have been out of his break and it wouldn't have been a first down but giants end up picking up a first down on this play because daniel jones is patient and he ends up taking a huge hit like he's accustomed to
1: yeah i mean you're so right about this we talked last week a lot about what we saw on tape which was daniel jones's ability to To not necessarily need pass protection to move the football, to move the chains, and to make plays, and that's a good thing because a last year and you know in previous years with the Giants and with a lot of football teams around the NFL, quarterbacks who don't have that ability turn these into drive killers. I mean, this is a play where the blocking by Hernandez could lead to a sack and the drive's completely over. I mean, this is a third down, but when it happens on first and second, it's a drive killer, especially for any almost any kind of offense when you get that far behind the chains, your drive's over. But in addition to that it also shows that he is the type of quarterback that can not only make plays out of structure but maintain ball placement out of structure if you look at where he releases this football on this play to shepherd you're right he did an excellent job here of waiting for shepherd to get out of his break but more importantly he's throwing on the run while moving to his right this was something we saw at duke he did a great job with it it's something we saw last season it's something he does a really good job with, I think, pretty much because of his arm mechanics, but also because of his athleticism. I didn't really think he would be that much of an off-platform thrower at the NFL level. I remember watching him last year and actually that being extremely impressed with that as it got to the NFL level that something like okay this was a trade I didn't know he had for sure yeah I saw it at Duke but I saw it on a pretty limited basis because for the most part in Duke it was a lot of quick game and it was a lot of get the ball out of your hands really fast but with the Giants that's not really possible because A you're in the NFL and if you run too much quick game you're done and B not only that you're also playing behind an offensive line that just isn't good it's not good anywhere there's one player playing pretty consistent football that's Kevin Zeitler the rest are not great. So agreed with you on that. And I think I will also want to touch on something else you said there, which is the anticipatory throwing. That is the key for every quarterback who looks and plays like Daniel Jones. This is not a Lamar Jackson. This is not a Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert from an arm talent standpoint. So if he's going to become a much better quarterback and a great quarterback in the league, he's going to have to sharpen those skills, the anticipatory throwing skills. And I believe that, honestly, Jones's anticipatory throwing is really good it's a trait that I like it's something he can build on I don't think we're going to fully realize it I don't think I'm sorry I don't think he's going to fully realize it. we're going to fully see it behind this offensive line it's unfortunate it requires him to speed up his processing just and at all times really there's just so few purely clean pockets with this team it's it's amazing to me it really truly is but there are so few purely clean pockets so with that said I think he did an excellent job with that and that leads me But before we move to my next point i actually do want to ask you is there anything you want else you want to touch on with jones any maybe more positive plays or anything negative that stood out to you
2: well there was the uh second quarter with about 446 left first and 10 i thought jason garrett did a good job sprinkling in play action at the right time to really force those linebackers to bite up and on this specific play jones throws with anticipation on a skinny post to sterling shepherd and i feel like another reason why we don't i guess see anticipatory throws from daniel jones maybe as much as we would like even though we are aware that he could do it is because he was throwing the ball to guys like cj board and damian radley i feel like with yeah players like sterling Shepard, he can do that because he has a higher level of trust in that player i mean there were a couple i mean we can get into sterling shepherd now or we can wait but there were a couple routes that sterling shepherd run, ran in this game that were just. Absolutely insane. The goal line route, the play before he scores that touchdown, which was an excellent route, and he added that subtle push off to kind of really put Darius Slay into a position where he couldn't make a play on that ball. Excellent play call by Jason Garrett, by the way. But before that, there was a release on the line of scrimmage by Sterling Shepard that was absolutely insane. And he made Nicole Roby Coleman just basically fall flat on his face. I mean, he didn't fall down, but it was. Roby Coleman was not in position whatsoever to make a play on the ball if the ball was thrown to to Shepard. But the thing was, the Eagles, who were kind of aggressive in this game, which is not really customary for Jim Schwartz, he doesn't really blitz all that much historically, but he blitzed a solid amount in this game, trying to confuse and rush Daniel Jones. On that play, Daniel Jones threw it to Golden Tate because the linebackers blitzed. Golden Tate should have had inside leverage, but Golden Tate didn't win at the line of scrimmage. And it was good coverage by whoever the covering defender was, but if you watch Shepard on that play, Shepard made Nicole Roby Coleman, got his body completely like turned, and Shepard was just darting towards the back flag.
1: And for those of you who want to see this play, you don't only have to have NFL Game Pass and tee it up to where Nick told you it was. You can go check out Nick's Twitter because he actually posted this clip up on Twitter. This is the type of clean relief. When we talk about and I want to get into a lot with Shepherd because in my mind from watching all 22 out of both on both sides of the ball, the player who stood out to me the most on either side of the ball in this game was Sterling Shepard. I don't think it can be understated how good of a game he had. and I think when you look at just the box score, you'll say, "Oh this is a pretty good game, right He had a few catches, he had a touchdown he I think he just topped 60 yards. It's not about that. it's about all the se- it's about the separation he creates. It's about what he has to do to get open on some of these routes and just how clean some of these releases are and he's not only their best route runner, but he's the guy the reason he was taken this early i believe he was an early, i don't remember now i remember it was a few picks after michael thomas mid-second early mid-second was because of what they saw at oklahoma from the route running standpoint he has some of the best releases off the line of scrimmage and it's not only that he's an extremely tough receiver we'll get into a lot of Shepard. before we do that though i want to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors and then we'll dive into Shepard because there's a lot to talk about there
2: even though sports had a break your business didn't plus indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. with 73 percent of online job seekers visiting indeed each month indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over three million businesses Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash Bluewire. All one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com/slash blue wire. All one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st football is back in full swing you might not be Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's a BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Okay, so let's talk Shepard because I think I said on the last podcast this offense is night and day with Shepard. I know there was some talk during the weeks he was out with injury. The Giants should trade Shepard, the Giants should cut Shepard. I disagree with all of that. I do not care. First of all, you guys know me. You know I'm not a big believer in the cap meaning much, the salary cap quote unquote, even though you watch teams just make a mockery of it year after year. And the Giants are nowhere near their cap, by the way. So a guy like Shepard, who really changes everything for Jones, I truly believe that. I watch this football team, you watch that game, and there's no nothing Evan Ingram does that comes anywhere close to making the same kind of impact that Shepard comes does on the field. There's nothing Golden Tate does that comes anywhere close to making that kind of impact. And like I said, it's a combination of things. The skinny post he ran that he got open on so quickly and then was able to break back towards the outside and get yards after the catch. The route you talk about, the whip route where where Jones rolls out on that third and five. The separation creates an out. The goal line route, which I want you to dive into now. These are just three plays that stood out. And you factor all that in with how tough he is as a receiver, with the fact that he very rarely drops passes. And, the explo- and again, the explosiveness after the catch, which we haven't seen a lot of to the extent, because, uh, in my opinion, mostly because of the offense, and that's somewhat holding him back again. It would be a lot easier for him to create more plays after the catch, as we saw in his early season with the Giants, if, if there was an Odell Beckham on the field, or if Evan Irwin could actually live up to his athletic billing, or if Golden Tate was still playing at kind of the level of a year and a half ago. But even with all of that said, he's still honestly their best the most impactful receiver for a quarterback like Jones because like you said before he gives him the ability to make more anticipatory throws because he trusts Shepard's ability to get open before he makes his break so I want you to go over that goal line route that again ended in incom- incompletion because Jones I guess you could say made not the best read here he just kind of didn't see the separation that that Shepard created because again this is kind of like that Slayton ball against the Rams if he throws that back backpiling it's not an easy throw but shepherd has so much separation it's probably
2: a touchdown it would have been a touchdown i don't really want to slam jones per se because what he anticipated was a blitz from those linebackers he got the blitz and it's on tate to kind of win inside sure. there but tate just didn't win inside the cornerback did an excellent job but this is a 6 24 left in the fourth quarter it's a second and two and Shepard's at the top of the screen he's just off the numbers so He has space to work outside, but he's not in a minus split. He's in a plus split of about one off of the numbers. And the cornerback is kind of lining up a little bit towards his inside, which is giving him an outside release. But what Shepard does that is excellent is he comes off the line of scrimmage. He doesn't run. He, he has to buy time because there's not a lot of space because the Giants are on the two or three yard lines. So what you do there is you kind of stutter your feet a little bit. You fire your feet to buy time for Daniel Jones to get the snap. And then you kind of try to set up the cornerback. So what he does is he attacks inside with his initial stem while he's stuttering his feet, which is going to force that cornerback to sway inside a little bit to prevent sterling Shepard from coming in on a quick slant or something along those lines so sterling Shepard keeps his shoulders square spires his feet and then jabs his inside foot into the ground just quick enough to kind of freeze nicole roby coleman right as he does that he explodes to the back pylon and he has about three or four yards of separation which is insane in this part of the field that's so yeah. hard to create on that specific route you have to be so smooth to do that and Sterling Shepard did exactly that, and if Daniel Jones saw it, it would have been an easy touchdown, but again, I don't want to really knock Jones, because Jones saw what he saw pre-snap, confirmed it post-snap, and it's on Golden Tate to win inside, Golden Tate could not, and it didn't matter, because on the next play, Sterling Shepard ran another fantastic route, great play call by Jason Garrett, confused the banjo coverage of the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Giants ended up getting six, and going up by two scores
1: yeah and again i agree with you i'm not going to knock jones too much for this i would like to see maybe slayton lined up in the slot instead of tate because i trust slayton in this situation to win this one-on-one and then you have slayton and Shepard on one side of the field which i like a lot In general, because I think those are their two best receivers. And you just throw uh, Tate on that left hash and just kind of leave him over there one on one, just kind of have him divert attention because he's not going to win. But like you said, if you guys look at the still shot, and you could just see the clip on Nick's Twitter again, the amount of separation Shepard creates at this level of the field is just so big time, man. And there's a reason why those of us who watch the All 22, and I'm not going to say those of us because this was a Nick Turgeon take. That I, you know, subscribed to from what I saw said that Shepard was their best route runner the year that the last year of OBJ 2018 when OBJ came back from that first major injury. Shepard was creating more separation. If you watch this team on all twenty-two and you look at these releases, Shepard was getting much cleaner releases off the line of scrimmage and in general creating more separation. He is an unbelievable route runner. Like I told you on one of the previous podcasts, I'm gonna reiterate because it's big-time stuff. Matt Harmon, the guy who created reception perception, where he literally charts receivers winning percentages against coverage, had Shepard as one of his breakout players for this season based on watching his routes and he said he's the most underrated route runner basically him he had two other guys in that in that category and he's predicted breakouts for alan robinson for tyree kill before tyree kill broke out so this is a guy who knows his stuff but is there anything else you want to touch on here about what Shepard was able to do and just kind of give the players i'm sorry give the fans a better idea because he had obviously the skinny post was an incredible route the whip route was an incredible route do you want to break down one of those maybe
2: I actually want to break down another play that we haven't touched on yet. It's the fourth quarter, first and 10 with 10.05 left. And this ended up being an incomplete pass because <sighs> Andrew Thomas got beat on an inside spin and Daniel Jones gets hit. But if you watch closely on the All-22, the route that Sterling Shepard runs, this is a another flag type of route. So he's lined up just inside the numbers here, and he's towards the boundary, so he's not on the field side. So it's a lim- more limited space, you could say, to work in. But he's tight off of the the ass of the tight end who is on that same side on this specific play. So what he does here is he runs the route, he releases outside a little bit and he's about on the numbers and he runs a stick and nod kind of thing in, in, in the way of he plants his inside foot in, he leans with his body. So he's selling like he's going to go inside. This is what you teach wide receivers when you're about to break. You want to lean your body like you're about to break inside and then you just want to as you're leaning explode off of your inside foot to go right back outside cuz when you're leaning just ever so slightly You're kind of selling to the person covering you that you're going inside because you're leaning in that direction a little bit. So you get the momentum of the defender to kind of go towards the inside, and he does that perfectly on this route. He starts leaning at the top of his break, just sticks his foot, and he creates separation on the guy who's covering over top of him. I believe it was Nicole Roby Coleman. There was someone underneath him, and if Daniel Jones had time, I believe Daniel Jones would have put this ball right on the hands of this is this is
1: a 20 yard shot play a huge big time play jones will never miss this throw if it's not for andrew thomas uh, i'll just be honest with you i mean yeah there's 20 tackles in the nfl who can hold up better there maybe 25 maybe 30 i mean there's so few tackles that are getting beat this quickly on this inside move and he only needed another half second second to make mi- because that's the kind of separation shepherd had and that's kind of faith that jones has i mean Jones is throwing this basically just before Shepard comes out of this break maybe right at the time of Shepard making this break he knows what's going to happen there again this could be viewed as an anticipatory anticipatory throw if Jones doesn't have to look off his left because he feels that pressure coming so quickly from that inside spin move against Andrew Thomas who's just helpless there just helpless no recovery nothing just completely helpless against these inside moves right now hopefully again that changes but again this is a great another great example of Sterling just you should do like a five-part story. I'm thinking about maybe putting up a five-part story of just the sep- the five plays where Sonny Shepard created unbelievable amounts of separation in this game. And it's just truly special to watch this guy play uh, football. I really, really am high on Shepard. I know he's injured a lot, and I know that the stats aren't always there. But when you watch this guy on film, he looks like a building block. He really does. And remember, Sterling Shepard is not not anyone who's like he's been on the roster for longer than people think. So obviously, people think you know he's maybe a player who's on that back end. Twenty-seven years old. A lot of receivers come into their own around year five in the NFL. And as they get older into this age, you look at that's used to be that used to be it takes a receiver at least three years to get rolling and then into the into those that four to five range he really finds his niche but that's kind of changed a little bit as receivers have kind of come along faster lately in the nfl but i would not be surprised if he ever can get can you know avoid that injury book if he can ever if he can become a really big time player for this kind of offense
2: i think the Giants need him to of course to be honest and I think this offense may look a little bit different because as we saw Jason Garrett in this game it was also a product of Philadelphia's secondary and just the game plan that Philadelphia and Jim Schwartz had against his offense but we saw some deeper shots here we saw Jason Garrett be a little bit more aggressive against this type of defense which was nice to see and I think that's also because they have Sterling Shepard out there and they have somebody who they can trust to run these routes precisely with excellent timing on the break so Daniel Jones can throw those anticipatory throws that we were just discussing before
1: yeah I was going to ask you to touch a little on Garrett because I in my mind I think he did have his best game plan and his best play calling of the season I think part of it was because of the defense he faced and because the Eagles gave the Giants a few more looks that Jones seems to do much better with when you blitz Jones he seems to do better obviously not the play to Ingram that again it was an interception but anyone who watches that play over will say that that's not on the quarterback i mean yes it's not the best read he throws hot there maybe you shouldn't be throwing hot there since they back off the blitz i get it but you know what if ingram just makes the catch it hits him right in the hands we're talking about a five-yard gain maybe just maybe a moment where Joe Judge can break free from what we have seen in the first six weeks and go for it there in that fourth and six situation fourth and six maybe fourth and five to really grab momentum but at worst case a punt down into the 10 and not that kind of changing of the momentum interception and yeah obviously against Daniel Jones' death, Daniel Jones had two turnovers in this game one was that one and the other one was that late fumble that again like ah there's no one open downfield there's 20 seconds left and it's just like, I, I just don't care that he fumbles that. I really don't. Like, if he takes a sack there, the game's over anyway. If he throws an incompletion, the game's over pretty much anyway, so... um yeah, right. no, I mean,
2: of course. And on that one interception, too, Dan, it looked like he had a little bit of alligator arms at
1: Oh, he definitely... He had alligator arms on not only an interception, but the, the infamous drop at the end of that game. And sorry for those of you who hear that train coming through. You've probably heard that throughout podcasts, um, recording right, from, right around a train station, but... There's nothing we can do about that. <laughs> we hate it. Trust me, we hate it more than you do. But anyway, he also had alligator arms on the on the infamous drop to to, to you know to lose essentially lose the game for his team. I mean, this is a guy who's had alligator arms mold. throughout his career. He's had alligator arms. That's kind of part of what he is. He makes some tough catches at times. So I don't want to say he's not a tough receiver, but I do think that at times he hears footsteps and he sees footsteps and he doesn't fully extend his arms. I mean, there's nothing else to say really about that.
2: I don't really. I don't remember him making, like, huge contestant catches in his career. He's not a big contestant catch he's guy. He's not a huge
1: contestant catch guy, but he has made some really great catches, I should say. Like, he's had that one-hander against the box mm. where he ran that little yeah, that, middle yeah. route and one-hand stabbed it. He's had a couple of those type of plays more so than, like, the in traffic getting crushed. I mean, they don't really take chances to him in traffic much, Good so point. you rarely see that. Maybe that's because of him, though. You know, that's not a great thing. I mean, Caden Smith was taking big hits in traffic and making big throws, I mean, catches up the seam last year when Ingram was out in traffic. I mean, this could lead into this. What do we want to talk about? We should talk a little bit about the Ingram thing. This is more overarching than All-22. I mean, you could talk all you want about the All-22. Like you said, Ingram had a couple better routes throughout the game than that you see on the All-22 you might have not seen on the broadcast, but he also had that play you talked about, the interception, and obviously the game loser, that, that the alligator arm drop on the ball that was dropped right over the top by Jones I mean so there's been talk this week as the trade deadline approaches the NFL of a potential Evan Ingram trade Jordan Ronan uh beat reporter for the New York Giants for ESPN came out and said the Giants are not willing to trade Evan Ingram um I so he has another year after this one he has the the fifth year option so that will be a middling salary something the Giants can obviously afford but at the same time it's crazy to say this but like I don't feel he's He's. I don't really think he's going to be any kind of value at that price anymore. It, it, to me, the biggest issue with Ingram is not the fact that he made this drop or he made the other drop in the interception. The biggest issue with Ingram is that when he's on the field in the run game, he's a total liability. There were multiple times on tape that you can watch where run plays were really well blocked and there could have been a really good run game. And by the way, this run game continues in Prue, which I want to talk about separately. But there were at least two plays in my notes where if Evan Ingram doesn't ruin the play because he's on the field and he can't block and he lets his guy through. run play could everyone else is doing their job on the run play but Ingram those type of situations one had Kaden Smith on the field and he even did his job and he had his block again some of these blocks aren't perfect but they're doing their job they're staying in front of their guy and they're giving the running back a chance but then Evan Ingram lets the guy through and the whole play gets blown up so to me the fact that he's such a liability when you have him in line and it just totally not only tips your hat like we had you know Fred Smoot come on and say a couple weeks ago but really just hurts you just really hurts you when you are calling those run place even if they guess run or guess pass it doesn't matter because everyone still needs to execute their blocks and that's something he has a lot of trouble doing not for lack of effort but for frame and it's almost worse that it's frame instead of effort because effort maybe can be fixed or the light can turn on there frame will not be fixed he's not going to bulk up he can't really bulk up his frame is what it is he's not a very wide uh athlete he's not too tall especially for tight end terms six foot three ish so the fact of the matter is he's not a great route runner He's not doing too much in the passing game. They're not using him to kind of always run up the, the seam to kind of open up other areas of the field for other receivers and kind of use him as a knife in the defense, like you see, you know, old Sean Payton offenses do with like the Devery Henderson types or the Ted Ginn types. So he's not you serving that role. To me, he's somebody you actually should really look to trade for a multitude of reasons. Uh, third would be amazing. I would take a fourth for Evan Ingram. I really would take a fourth for Evan Ingram because. I don't know how much they lose by putting Caden Smith on the field now instead of him, giving Caden Smith about 90% of the snaps, putting Ty Lolo in to Smith's role, or, you know, moving somebody else back, getting you know calling back up Garrett Dickerson, getting him in the role. Scotty Simonson's on the streets, maybe. But Scotty Simonson, I don't know. Yeah, let's bring Will Tie back, why not? I, I don't know. The point <laughs> is, some of these guys can actually hold their blocks in the run game. And some of these guys, and a guy like Caden Smith can give you something in the passing game. Obviously, Caden Smith, by the way, is not an unbelievable blocker. I'm not sitting here trying to say that. But what I'm saying is he does his job in the block game and his frame allows him to so for me i'm curious here your take but i'm on the position now of i would trade evan ingram for a fourth or better
2: if if the giants could get a third i think i can get on board but a fourth is where i'm thinking i'm not a hundred percent sure just because it, it, it is difficult to say because i look at evan ingram and i think there are so many flaws there i do but, but a fourth it, is
1: tough also because I, I don't want to cut you off. I want you to get back into this. But yeah. I may take that back because a fourth would mean like a late four because we're trading with a playoff contender. So it's like eh, a was, late four is kind of rough. All right, uh, let me rephrase. I'm back on three. I'm yeah. on three. A three I
2: would definitely consider. Three. But what I'll say about Evan Ingram, and it it sucks because he hasn't executed his assignments, obviously, but it is a focal point of Jason Garrett, of Joe Judge, to get Evan Ingram involved in every single game plan since week one. Now, if he was able to have success in the plays that were designed, we're talking about a totally different story. And obviously he did not have success in this, mainly because of drops, because of mental errors and things along those lines. I honestly think the Giants, and it's hard to do this because the play calling, but I think they should use Evan Ingram in... Sort of a big slot role. Yeah, it's the only. <laughs> I think you can you can design plays for Evan Ingram. You can take advantage of his athletic ability. I know he's not a great route runner, but he's still a, a he's still a better athlete than the majority of people the Giants have on their offense. So I think you can find success for Evan Ingram, but you have to kind of stray away from the fact that he's this tight end because he's not a tight end. He's not. He doesn't block like one, and he's it's not I feel like the way he could be best utilized now the Giants have made a concerted effort to try to give him the ball on end arounds. they've tried to throw him little flare passes they've gotten him involved on those deep seven routes, and I love the fact that they did I like I think that's the way you utilize him I think you utilize him down the field a little bit more because he is fast off the line of scrimmage when he doesn't have to release on somebody who is covered he's quick his acceleration is excellent he's just not nuanced And he has the dropsies, and that is unfortunate. A third-round pick is something I would definitely consider. A fourth, like you said, I think it would be a late fourth. I think the Giants don't necessarily have that many skilled position players. Maybe they can get something out of ingram and i know it's like going around in circles we're like on a damn merry round of terror right now with evan ingram but he he is still talented in the sense of just being an incredible athlete i just think they have to harness that skill set and not rely on him so much in the other fats facets of being a tight end because he's he's not a tight end
1: yeah it's interesting nick because i think there's a lot of good points you bring up there for starters i've always said this and i will continue to say this I want to do whatever i can to help jones develop best and that means giving him some talent as much talent as they can get him it means giving him pass protection and trading away a guy for a draft pick works against that having said that there's also been times where the giants have figured the evan ingram problem out last year to open up the season before the injury he had 11 receptions for 116 yards and a touchdown in his first game then six for 48 six for 113 four for 54 before the injuries and then six for 42 throughout those games 14 8 8 7 11 targets they figured out a way to use him pat Shermer figured it out but in my mind with where they're at and i completely agree with you if they just converted him to a big slot and just literally made him their big slot with slayton Shepard, and Ingram and let's say they found a trade partner for Tate which is going to be impossible. Would well, you get a 7 maybe? I don't even care, but or <laughs> they just move him to the bench but just to, so they can change their lineup around. And now you have Ingram operating as a big slot and you have Caden Smith on the field as the tight end. You're working kind of a 12 personnel quote unquote, but it's really not because Ingram's always detached. Then I can get on board because then I don't have to worry about him in line as a blocker screwing up all these run plays and having that frame that just can't hold up. But my issue is That's not the kind of thing you can do in the middle of the season in Week 8. That's something you needed to do with a full preseason, with a full training camp, with a full OTAs. It needed to be part of your offense. I don't think right now they can completely retool this offense to move Tate out of the lineup and move Ingram in and Caden Smith in on a full-time basis at at the inline position and then have Ingram strictly as this detached player. I agree some team might figure that out, and it will make us paint it will bring us pain if he has success elsewhere he's still an incredibly young player Evan Ingram and it's not again this is not someone who's he's 26 years old by the way and this isn't any he just turned 26 so he's a young 26 this is not someone who's never had it like i said i just went over those numbers he was on pace to have an unbelievable season for a tight end last year they had figured it out with Shermer before the injury but right now he's not on that pace in this offense his role in this offense is not as good as it. they're not using him the same way or he's not playing the same way whatever it is if you can get a three for someone like that considering, A, they're going to probably bring back this offense next season with Jason Garrett, and I don't know if they're going to—maybe they could look into it next year, retool his usage. Again, even with that being the case, there's still only one year left. It's for a pretty hefty price, considering what he's giving them now. And with that third-round pick, if it's a three, you might be able to find a Fred Warner. Teams have done it. You might be able to find a receiver that, at this point, honestly— they might be better if you're just going to use him in this detached slot receiver role, you might be better off just getting someone with more with more of an actual wide receiver there. Because again, even if he is in this role, dude, he's still not a great route runner. So it's like, eh, is it even that good? Like, I know Tate's not giving them that much. So it's like better potentially than a Tate. But like, you might be able to find someone who can be a really good route runner from that role. And in that case, I, I just don't know. I'm at the point here with Ingram where it's like, he's had a long he's had a long time to kind of establish himself. And at this point, I I really do think I'd be willing to take a three if that was possible.
2: I think a three is fair. It's crazy, though, man. The margin of error in the NFL and how we perceive things as fans and people who cover the team. If Evan Ingram literally catches that ball, we're being like, oh, man, Evan Ingram, they used him downfield. he catches him in stride and houses it, it's like a whole nother story. (laughs) It's a whole nother story, (laughs) but literally he drops it, and that's just the microcosm of his career there. He comes up small in big spots. He does, and he's been a cause of... Several of Daniel Jones' interceptions through this season, and the drops have been there as well. The blocking has not been there i mean we we've harped on it. He's been a huge disappointment. We expected and you and I talked about it on this podcast. we expected him to kind of come out in this Jason Garrett offense and be a huge focal point, and he hasn't been, and he hasn't been by play call, and that seems to be maybe because he has lacks in other parts of his game that kind of prevent him from having success that along that along with the fact that you know. Andrew Thomas and Cameron Fleming can't hold up pass protection to allow deep routes to really develop, especially from the tight ends. You need to usually keep them into chip a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm I acknowledge his athletic ability. I acknowledge what he can do. He just hasn't done any of those things. I wouldn't want to get rid of him for like a fifth or a late fourth. Yeah, agreed. I think a third. I think a third would be would be fair. But you're also talking about a team who has Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, two guys who are banged up a little bit here and there, and really nothing else behind them in terms of skill if Evan Ingram's not there and again Evan Ingram's Evan Ingram still a dangerous player when you get the ball in his hands with space and the Giants Jason Garrett have definitely tried to do that in every single Dan we've watched every game in and out Mm. every single game plan the focal point one of the focal points of the offense is to get Evan Ingram the ball
1: yeah i think it could be the main focal point honestly because it's not like they really have that role for slayton they don't move slayton enough into the slot which i think they should do more of personally Mm. i think he should be their focal point i think he's the most consistent player him or Shepard. i'm down with either one yeah um but you're right they they think that evan ingram can be this guy that really chugs this offense along without barkley um but ultimately he hasn't proven that just yet so Absolutely we'll see what happens there but let's move forward with the offensive line i want to start before we get into individual player breakdowns or the pass production i want to start with the run blocking because i actually like what i saw from the run blocking this game and i like what i saw from one specific player in the run game and that's wayne gallman and i know we touched on it while watching the broadcast man this guy runs hard man this guy does a good job of picking holes and man this guy can really fall forward with the best of them and falling forward is a skill as a running back trust me you, I know people will take it for granted, but getting those extra two yards can really help keep an offense, especially like this one, on pace, on schedule give them opportunities not put them so far behind the sticks where they can't convert and i think he's a really nice decisive runner And that's probably his best attribute is his decisiveness as a runner but to require for any of that to work the blocking has to be better and i think now we have a two straight game sample size against pretty damn good fronts i mean again the washington redskins and the i'm sorry the washington football team and the philadelphia eagles defensive fronts are strong defensive fronts that are not super easy to move the ball on in the run game and i think they found some re- they again these are not we're not we're, we're not talking about a team that's running for a buck 50 or 200 and just totally controlling the game that's obviously not the case here but this is a team that's finding more success in the run game especially when evan ingram doesn't blow a play up or when andrew thomas doesn't blow a play up and i want to try to dive into why i think it's to me from what i've seen it's a combination of a little bit more diversity in the run game some more good reps from nick gates and Kevin Zeitler pretty much always doing his job in the run game, in my opinion. Not He's not at some mauler in the run game, but he's always doing his job. And I'd like to hear what your opinion is on why the run game has been a little bit more successful lately.
2: Well, first off, Wayne Goldman looked fantastic down the stretch of that game for the New York Giants. But one reason, and I'm not trying to poo-poo on the New York Giants, the Eagles and Jim Schwartz like to line up in a lot of wide nine. They like to spread their defensive line out, which makes it easier to kind of have the, de- or the offensive line get to double teams and then climb
1: and for those who don't know what what Nick means by the Y9 defensive alignment let's break it down Nick
2: yeah so essentially they the Eagles are going to come out with both of the end man on the line of scrimmage both of their defensive ends they run a 4-3 front are going to be wide significantly wide off of the tackles which means the interior guys the other two linemen are usually in a three tech and a two i technique no one's really in the a gap so that allows there to be double teams if you line up with a tight end on both of those interior guys and if your tight end and then the other tackle can just kind of hinge the end man line of scrimmage out of the way you can form a double team and then climb to the second level acquire the linebackers and then the running back and hit the hole and go and that definitely happens on a first and 10 with about 750 ish left in the first quarter devonta freeman is the running back and i like what the giants did they put Caden smith in a position right behind will hernandez so he wasn't necessarily a fullback he was kind of like an h-back who was moved over it's a unique kind of position from Caden Smith but what they do is they attack the a-gap because they're in a wide-eyed front so why not run interior you're going to get two double teams and that's exactly what they do this is a duo type of run from the New York Giants where they form those double teams climb and Devonta Freeman picks up seven yards on the play Caden Smith kind of gets to Nathan Gary picks him up and all you see is Two double teams right off the bat. You see both those guys attack the end men on the line of scrimmage, eliminate them from the play, and it's on the safety to kind of fill that A-gap and make a tackle, but Devonta Freeman picked up seven yards. So I thought the Giants did a good job attacking the front four of the Eagles, the talented front four of the Eagles line just based off their alignment
1: yeah I think you brought up an excellent point there's a lot of good play calls in the run game based on the defensive alignments and that's a good thing to see it means that they're getting together they're getting more continuity in the run game and they're making better calls to kind of figure out ways to create yards I mean there was the play with Dion Lewis where obviously he picked an excellent hole and that was actually a really savvy run by a guy who doesn't have much of that on tape but there's a even even so there's a huge hole on that play created by the blocking there up front
2: yeah, Caden Smith does an excellent job on that specific play because the Giants line up with two tight ends, is Evan Ingram and Caden Smith. And so Kevin Zeitler and Cameron Fleming, because he's on the right side, double team the it's a four eye technique, and Caden Smith has to kind of come along and take chip to help Evan Ingram, and he chips and helps Evan Ingram. And if he didn't do that, obviously, I don't think Evan Ingram would have been able to hold that block up. And then he climbs up to the linebacker, Caden Smith, locates the linebacker, and Deion Lewis just squeaks through the hole to pick up a gain of 19 yards on that play. So In they, the
1: fourth quarter, while the Giants were kind of needing this play.
2: Exactly. And there were a couple runs with Wayne Gallman where I felt like the blocking was was pretty solid as well. But Wayne Gallman just did an excellent job kind of getting skinny through the hole and exploding from the line of scrimmage to the second level and kind of outrunning linebackers and forcing safeties to really kind of come down and make tackles. So I thought the running game was pretty good. I think some of it is a product of the fact that they were able to run against the wide nine front, which Mm -hmm. is an easier front to run against, but I don't want to take anything away from the guys because I felt like they were able to execute their assignments and climb and not have a linebacker or a defensive lineman in the lap of Wayne Gallman or Devonta Freeman, which is something we've seen way too often from this team.
1: Yeah, and I want to touch on, before we move to the pass protection, and we are going to kind of focus on three players there in my mind that I want to talk about, that's Andrew Thomas, Matt Purt, and um, Will Hernandez. But before we do that, I want to touch on a little bit of... Nick Gates today because I actually had an excellent conversation. Part of my roller coaster weekend included one high, which was going down to manalapin to visit my cousin Ari um and my Uncle Steve and Aunt Carol. Two two people, by the way, in those out of those three, Ari and Steve, who are diehard fans of the Big Blue Banter, so shout out to them. And in a conversation we had about the Giants, we talked about Nick Gates because in Steve's mind, and I think he's completely correct in my Uncle Steve's mind. The center is the most underrated position in the NFL and for the success of a football team. And we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. You look at a lot of the best teams around the NFL, they have good centers. They some of them have really good centers. It's a very important position on the offensive line and if you're a fan of this podcast, you probably subscribe to me and Nick's line of thinking, which is if you don't have an awesome offensive line, you're going to struggle to win football games in general. So, with that said, is there basically what he wants to know is because i I said on previous podcast and i saw it again in this game there's some really good reps from i'm sorry from gates in the run game where he's just nasty and he'll finish a play and he'll just this uh, you're you're pointing to one right now a run from first and 10 when they're backed up in their own end zone this is first and 10 at the new york giant 31 with 1407 left in the fourth quarter where they need to get out of their own end zone and gates does an excellent job so i'll have you break that down in a second but my point is and you i want you to also touch on this what someone like Uncle Steve wants to know is, is there hope for this guy to potentially be a building block? And I know we touched on this before, and I know there's been discussion on it, and I'm not saying if they can't upgrade, don't upgrade, but is this a potential position where, if they don't have enough assets to upgrade every single thing that they need to on a roster that, let's be quite honest, needs a lot of upgrades at a lot of positions, and during one off season you don't get a chance to upgrade all of them, is there some hope that Gates is learning, becoming better, and improving as a prospect at
2: the center position? Absolutely. I think there is hope there. I think he'll always have his limitations, though. So I think the Giants can go into next season, have Nick Gates be the starter, and not be like, oh, Jesus is doom and gloom. I don't think it's a priority to upgrade. I think it is something that they should upgrade on if the opportunity presents itself. If somebody falls in the draft, if there's a center that they love, if there's a cheap center on the free agent wire, which tends to not Never happen. Happen, yeah. So, but the thing about Nick Gates in this game, again, talk about that wide nine front. The Eagles don't line up in a lot of zero techniques. So they don't have a lot of zero techniques. A zero technique, for those of you who do not know, is a player that is lined up directly over top of the center. An odd kind of front. So they line up in a lot of two-eye techniques, one technique sometimes, which creates double teams with that play side guard. So either Will Hernandez or Kevin Zeitler, depending on the front that the Eagles employ. So that allowed, in this game, Will or Nick Gates, to double-team players and then climb. And I thought he did a good job in this game. He was solid in this game. My concerns with Nick Gates go back to what we talked about during the summer with Nick Gates. And it's strength at the point of attack when he has to block one-on-one. One. attack, yeah. Now, what happened when we watched that Washington film? Mm-hmm. Deron Payne, Jonathan yep. Allen, they were tossing Nick Gates all over the field. And there were some plays, some reps in that game where Nick Gates won. And you're like, okay. And I love his competitive toughness. I love... How I love his mentality. I love his grit. I love the fact that when Daniel Jones gets hit late, he's the first person in somebody's face with Will Hernandez. What happened to Andy Dalton this week with John Bostic? that would never happen with the New York Giants. Every New York Giant lineman would have been fighting John Bostic. There wasn't one cowboy going after John Bostic. It blew my mind, to be honest. So I think Nick Gates is a player that you can have and you could probably win with, but it's somebody you may want to look to replace if the opportunity presents itself.
1: Yeah, I think... Ultimately, to answer your question, Uncle Steve, I, I kind of agree with Nick on this one. I think when he's going to have games like this, Nick kind of broke this down perfectly. When he's going to have games where there's no zero tech lined up right above, right, right on top of him, he's going to look a lot better on film than the games where he has to take someone on one on one, play after play after play, and that functional play strength, you know, becomes more obvious and pre- and prevalent. I think ultimately. If they were able to make this transition with a player like Gates, I'm actually intrigued by after year two with a full offseason, a full OTAs, a full training camp, and a full preseason. If a guy like Lemieux can maybe make that transition, that intrigues me a little more because Gates, again, is not making too many mental errors, I don't think right now, all things considered, considering, again, he's learning a new position and if somebody like Lemieux with more time can do it because again Lemieux is a guy who I don't think is going to be an issue from a functional play strength point I don't think we're going to see too many reps like we saw with the Deron Payne's the world just tossing him on the ground and putting him flat on his face I think he can hold up I even think a guy like Hernandez might be able to hold up there that I think is an outside the box potential idea but I don't think Hernandez is a long-term solution at left guard personally I'm just going to be completely honest. I'm not a huge fan of Hernandez, and I don't think he's a great solution at left guard. So maybe, you know, there's less mistakes if he's at center just because he doesn't have to have as many one-on-one pass blocking reps. Um, I don't know. But ultimately, I want to talk about that. So maybe this is a good time to transition. I thought Will Hernandez was had a pretty subpar game in pass pro this game. I think it was pretty evident when we watched this All-22 maybe if you want to break down a play or just talk about what you think is going on there and where we're, where the Giants fans can be at right now with Will Hernandez in year three, week seven. That's almost you know two and a half seasons worth of tape and yet still a lot of issues in pass pro.
2: Yeah, Will Hernandez, he had a couple reps where I was like, okay, that's really nice in the run game. But there were also a few reps where he him and Thomas were not on the same page passing off stunts. There were a couple reps where Thomas seemed like he did a good job getting his guy, shoving him to Hernandez and then transitioning off, but Hernandez can never really collect the guy on the stunt, and the penetrator for the stunt ends up blowing through his inside shoulder, and that forced Daniel Jones to kind of overthrow. I think it was Sterling Shepard on one of the plays where it should have been a 20-yard gain. I'm not going to put it on Jones. That's on the offensive line for not holding up their protection because it was sort of a bang-bang situation. There were a couple other times where Will Hernandez was kind of by himself and he was getting bullied a little bit by Fletcher Cox. So I thought it was a subpar game as well for Will Hernandez. You expect by this point that he would kind of have all that stuff together. You would really hope that he would have all that stuff together. It just doesn't seem like it's really coming to fruition for him at the moment. Now, there was one play I wanted to highlight that is good for Will Hernandez, and that was on the one-yard line. Now, obviously, you want your interior offensive lineman to be able to plow through people in short-yarded situations. Now, if you guys want to see that, it's the third quarter. It's a first and goal, about 6.48 left. It was on the Wayne Gallman touchdown. And you can see Will Hernandez and Andrew Thomas absolutely annihilate Hassan Ridgeway. And it's mostly Will Hernandez, but Andrew Thomas helps out a little bit and that that was definitely something that I like to see from Will Hernandez that mean streak it's the stuff that we heard about him coming out of UTSA but in pass protection it's just not consistent I guess would be the word that I would use because there are some games where I'm like oh Will Hernandez he was fine he didn't give up a lot of pressures in this specific game but this game I felt like he could have done a much better job and those are the kind of things that kind of make you lose faith in a player that We once had so much high hopes for. And now it's kind of getting to a point where you're like, all right, you kind of need to be more consistent or we're gonna need to start talking about replacing you eventually. And that's something you don't want at all for Will Hernandez. And I don't think we're quite there yet. But if he keeps having these games where he flounders a little bit and makes little mistakes, and I don't think this game necessarily is indicative of that, but there were mistakes in this game. But if he keeps kind of going down that path, we're not looking at a long term solution at left guard.
1: No, and I mean, it's, it's a really fun rep if you guys want to do what well, I do really strongly just you watch it. Will Hernandez has these reps, these moments in the run game. That's not where I'm concerned, and you saw that a lot at UTEP. That's why he was such a highly regarded prospect, but I'm a little further along that path than you are, Nick. I'm close to just being out on him as a long-term solution. This is just too long. I mean, I think he can always be this average okay guard, but if we're getting very close to the point because remember, he was a second-round pick technically the 34th overall I mean you're basically using first round capital if you're not going to trade down from that spot he has to be amazing but the fact of the matter is because he was a second round pick it's only a four-year contract so you're getting close to the point where you have to decide if you want to upgrade this you want to give him long-term money and guaranteed money against the cap I'm not at that point with Will Hernandez right now because I know by reputation he's going to expect a pretty solid deal that's just how this thing goes I mean it's offensive linemen can do a solid job of you know negotiating pretty good deals based on their rep and to me the rep just hasn't lived up to what you see on film and this is not a guy right now that i would extend for a second contract
2: yeah it's definitely that would be difficult if this was his contract year if we're going to point out another solid rep it was actually a Play where Daniel Jones got sacked because Andrew Thomas was late, and we'll get into Andrew Thomas in a little bit. But he was late on picking up the stunt from linebacker Nathan Gary, which is gross to just see. Because okay, on Big Blue View, I went the entire week. I had to do a, I had to do how do you attack the Eagles' defense piece. And my point was, go after number 47. Just attack Nathan Gary. A guy can't cover. He's a liability out there. Just attack him. And he gets a sack on Daniel Jones on this play because the Eagles run a stunt on a second and eight 14-16 left in the third quarter. But this play, Will Hernandez does a good job just recognizing he's covered on the play. So number 93 is over top of him. He's covered. But he sees that number 93 doesn't attack right away. So he automatically assumes hey this is going to be a stunt so what does he do he transitions to Andrew Thomas's guy but Andrew Thomas is just too late to pick up Nathan Gary Gary runs right around just nails Daniel Jones and again this isn't Thomas getting beat around the edge like we've seen a couple times which is very very unfortunate for all of us Giant fans but this was just him mentally being a little bit slow to pick up Nathan Gary it's not him
1: getting beat around the edge but it is does bring up something I do have an issue with with Thomas and we'll talk about this now, we'll get into some Thomas. Yeah. It's just that not that the natural ability recover is just not always there with this guy, it doesn't seem like. That can be a play that if he's even though he's late to react to it, I agree on the stun, if he just has more natural quickness with his feet, or a better hand punch, or a better usage of his hands. But again, that seems more technical. I think mostly it's just athleticism, quickness with his feet and recognition even though you as you watch this rep you see his eyes are just so far away from Gary and it might be a little too late but there are some athletes that can get out here and save this play they don't have to make it a perfect looking play just have to save the play just have to not let him cleanly get around and sack your quarterback but that just seems to be the case at times with her, with Thomas. So let's get into both the tackles because Pert got a few reps, not too many, had one really bad rep, and it feel like the Giants kind of went away from him. So I want to hear your take on that. And ultimately, if that was the correct decision or if they should try to maybe let Pert take his lumps like Thomas is essentially doing, they're giving Thomas a million reps no matter how bad he's playing. So let's start with Thomas, who I think had another really bad game for the New York Giants in pass protection. I don't want to say this. This is not me trying to take any again some people are claiming some people are accusing me of being like happy about Thomas struggling which is absurd i do you guys understand that we want not only because we grew up liking this team and this fan's team, we want this team to be good because it makes for more interesting podcast content and it creates five times listener base. People who want to listen to this team, when people who are listening to this podcast, you guys are the diehards. We love you. You're listening to a one in, us talk about a one in six team. Do you know how many people want to hear it? Do you know how many bandwagon fans jump on good teams? I've seen it every year covering the NFL is my job. When you're a good team, there are, ba- the, there are five times as many fans. The, the fan, and we're, we're accepting you. We love fairweather fans. Yeah. I want my ba- I want Fairweather fans. I'm not criticizing them. I love a good Fairweather fan. Come on in. Enjoy the podcast. But you know who's not going to come for a 1-6 season? The Fairweather fans. So don't try to pin that on me. I want this team to be good. And yes, I did have him as my OT4, and I did talk myself into the pick after it because of Gettleman's track record with guys like Taylor Moten with long arms. But there was a reason I had him OT4. And so far, he's looked by far and away the OT4. He's he's actually, he's probably like the OT7 in this class. As of just right now, through seven games, we ultimately think he's going to be, I ultimately think he's going to be a pretty solid to average tackle. I don't see any kind of all pro potential with him personally. I never really did, which is why I use my OT4 and someone I would never take it for. But again, When he puts together a game like this, you have to call it like it is. You can't just sugarcoat it for the fans. You can't just keep making excuses. He had a really, really bad game in pass protection. Am I wrong?
2: No, you're not wrong. I mean, he's had a lot of really bad games. There's one play I want to highlight for anybody on Game Pass because I think it's important to highlight this specific play for a few different reasons. Mainly, what has been Andrew Thomas' biggest issue in pass protection? It's been keeping that inside foot down when he's attacked. On that part of his half man or on inside counter moves. And on a third and three in the first quarter, 7-13 left. There's a wide rusher. I believe it's Derek Barnett, the kid from Tennessee, from a few years back. And he attacks the inside shoulder of Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas is alone on an island on this play. And what happens initially is he goes right for the bull rush. And he attacks that inside shoulder. And you see Andrew Thomas's inside leg come up. And as we've seen so many times this season, sadly, that inside leg goes up, his balance goes to crap, and usually it results in a sack of Daniel Jones or Daniel Jones running for his damn life. But on this play, Andrew Thomas's inside leg comes up very briefly, and he's able to plant that leg back into the ground, use his power step, anchor down, re sync his hips, and establish position on Derek Barnett. I think that is sort of a telltale sign, or just a maybe glimmer of hope that he can fix these issues of him having this incredible vulnerability of being attacked inside now there were plenty of times throughout this game where he gave up his inside but this rep i looked at it and i said this could be mark colombo trying to really remind him hey you need to really protect that inside and this was maybe a rep where he was successful doing it for once i think that's a glimmer of hope there but We can go over just here in a little bit. There were several times throughout this game where he failed at doing that. But the fact that he did it here with a wide rusher, with him on an island, with that wide rusher attacking his inside shoulder, a little sliver of hope, no?
1: It's a sliver of hope. Again, I think ultimately these slivers of hope are important to point out because if he's going to be what I ultimately think he's going to be, which is a solid left tackle, that's my hope at least at this point, that he's going to be a solid left, solid but unspectacular left tackle that you can win with somebody like uh you know like how about the dude from i think he can be like the dude from the Bucks the donovan smith donovan smith type maybe maybe he's a donovan smith type and you could win with a donovan smith in the nfl the bucks are doing it right now teams can do it um ultimately he's gonna have to do things like you just said he's gonna have to take the coaching show that he's improving based on the coaching and show that the technical stuff can get cleaned up so ultimately i do think there are athletic limitations with thomas that's Mm -hmm. my personal opinion i've had that since before the draft and that's not going to change but if he can really perfect his technique and start to use his long arms as a weapon it can make up for all that and he could become above average as a tackle and obviously you can we can talk about him consistently getting beat by these inside moves because he put it on tape and again he had several plays again in this game where he just got destroyed by these inside spin moves but ultimately right now if you want to know what i find so disturbing about this giants football team and i just looked this up as we were talking according to pro football focus which again is not a bible any means but they are charting every single snap of every single game of every single team which pretty much no other website does there are 57 offensive tackles in the nfl right now who have played at least 50 percent of their snaps 57 offensive tackles in the nfl do you know who's last in pass protection on at least a minimum of 50 percent of the snaps right now out of the 57 tackles you know i'm gonna guess i think it's andrew thomas it's Andrew Thomas, but you want to hear what's even more alarming and disturbing about this 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 set of stats right now that I'm looking at? F- number 55, tied for 55, so tied for the second worst in the NFL in pass protection is Cameron Fleming. The Giants literally right now have the two worst offensive tackles in the NFL in pass protection, according to Pro Football Focus's metrics.
2: It's a testament to Daniel Jones, man.
1: It is a testament to Daniel Jones, but it's also a goddamn disgrace. It's a goddamn disgrace. How the frick can this team? One of these guys is the fourth overall pick. What the hell, Gettleman Step your crap up. And the other guy is some guy he signed to frickin' start this year, Cameron Fleming. You know what? There's <laughs> the Eagles found some idiot who played rugby, and he's doing better than him. The rugby guy's doing better than him. I mean, come on, Bobby Hart has a better pass blocking grade than Cameron Fleming right now. Uh, okay, say Bobby less, Hart say <laughs> <less>. <laughs> has a better pass. Terrence Steele. Okay, that's like a six round pick. An idiot. George Fant. Here's another idiot the Jets signed that everybody laughed at. Dennis Kelly, a career swing tackle, who's been forced into duty for the Titans due to injuries, has a better passport game. It's just, it's, it's, it's tough, guys. It's tough. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to know the number one reason why the Giants are struggling right now on offense. At times, I've said it's Jason Garrett, but as I look at these stats, Nick, and as I continue to watch more tape, I'm starting to shape my opinion and think it's more this tackle play. So, that leads me to my next question. Matt Pert obviously had the bad rep, which we can talk about. It was the rep where both Thomas and Pert got destroyed on one play, and I'm sure Joe Judge looked at that and was like, oh my god, I want to kill myself because how the hell are my tackles this bad? How the hell am I supposed to win football games with tackles like this? Dave, get on the phone. Dave, where are you? How the hell did you do this to me, but... Somehow it's worse than the 2011 season where the Giants were dead last in pass pro or the season where Jerry Reese tried to start Bobby ha- Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers as his right tackles. But I digress and I ask you this, Nick. What's going on with Pert? Why can't they get him on the field for Cameron Fleming? Because we just clearly showed that Cameron Fleming is not playing well. I mean, at, at least if you subscribe to Pro Football Focus and what we've seen on tape, Cameron Fleming has been the second to worst uh NFL offensive tackle and pass protection so why can a guy like Pert not take his lumps like they're doing with Thomas what do you think the issue is there and why are we not seeing Pert surpass Cameron Fleming as the right tackle
2: I just think they're bringing him along man I think it's that simple I mean you have one of your rookie tackles the fourth overall pick obviously someone you had much more faith in than Pert lead the league right now with 37 pressures the next highest is 29 that's not good. Cam Fleming according has 20. This is according to Pro Football Focus, but we've watched so the So combined, they have 57 pressures allowed. That's insanity. There's actual insanity. There I mean, are teams, I can assure you, that don't even have close to 57 pressures with the whole entire, the entire line. offensive line. There's
1: definitely teams that have not given up 57 pressures on their entire offensive line.
2: It's it's insane to think about. And it really makes, it makes me, and I'm somebody who's generally, I think, a little bit higher on Jones than, than some other people. It makes me view Daniel Jones in even a better light. I think so too this is this is totally blowing my
1: mind with daniel jones it really has because how the hell am i going to kill daniel jones when this is the case i don't know i mean to be fair eli manning in 2011 had a pretty similar situation with his two tackles they actually had a really a much better situation going on in the interior that year not too much better but they they were 32nd overall in pass protection according to pro football focus in 2011 when the giants won the super bowl But it was mostly the tackles who graded out dead last, so it's a similar situation. And obviously, Manning did the best he could with that. But again, remember, Manning also had a nice run and shoot offense that he was like in year whatever, seven of, and totally mastered the offense. He had Manningham on a career year, he had Knicks on a career year, and he had Cruz on a career year. So the Giants obviously don't have any of that going for them. And at the time, obviously, that was a better quarterback than Daniel Jones is currently. Of course, of course. But with all that said, I don't know how the hell I can even make any conclusion on Jones at the end of the season when this is probably going to be his situation for the next eight, nine games. Like, I don't see this improving too much. So this is what he has. He has two tackles that have combined to give up 57 pressures in seven games. It's out of control. It's,
2: It's asinine it's, it's really crazy is. but on to pert i think they're like i was saying i think they're bringing him along a little slowly they see what's happening with andrew thomas kind of throwing him in the fire hopefully he can adjust on the fly as for pert none of us really expected him from a development standpoint to be ready to play this season i think in his limited time playing he's shown that he has a lot of intriguing skills but on the play that we're talking about it's a second and eight with 328 left and i believe it is in the second quarter yes it is and again, we talked about the wide nine and the vulnerabilities of how you can run on it sometimes. But the reason why player that teams run wide nine is it creates advantageous angles for the edge rushers. And that's what happens. So basically, the Giants line up in 12 personnel. They have a tight end on each side to kind of help protect the wide nine rushers. And the rushers are both yards off of the tight end. So they're way out there. So that creates advantageous angles for those edge rushers and it puts those tackles on an island so when these edge rushers explode out of their stance both Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott are in a position where they have to block all by themselves with a person running and they could go inside they can go outside it's kind of a hard position for those young tackles to be in to kind of pick where they're going to go and how they're going to frame their blocks and as for Matt Parrott the guy kind of gets to the edge rusher gets to his outside shoulder and Perrot gets his hands inside, but you can kind of see the edge rusher has the edge on him. So he just pushes through the outside shoulder, gets his outside or his inside arm underneath the outside arm of Matt pair, and then he rips through. So a rip move is when you are able to kind of sink your leverage as a, as a pass rusher and then get underneath the armpit or the arm of the tackle, and then just shoot your inside arm up. And what that does is it forces all the momentum of that blocker up and into the air, and you can just kind of explode right around, get your hips into the pocket, and then sack the quarterback. And that's exactly what happened here. And as for Andrew Thomas on this play, well, Andrew Thomas got beat inside. It's kind of what he does. He doesn't even really overset on this play. I think he sets well, but he punches, and when he punches, he lunges, and Derek Barnett just spins inside. And he picks picks that right foot up, that inside foot. He lifts it yeah and that's something that he's just been doing the entire time this time it wasn't even because of strength which is something we've seen plenty it's usually because of strength that he's a little off balance can't handle the strength on this play it's all finesse he gets out finessed and both the rookie tackles end up getting Daniel Jones sacked by every single member of the Eagles defensive line and I'm not going to blame it on the interior uh, offensive line at all it's just those tackles couldn't hold up and that's kind of why you run a wide nine type of defense right there but Parrott got beat on this play and I'm willing, I think, after this bye week, which is coming up in a few weeks, to see Pert in, in a full-time role, but I'm not sure if he's fully there yet. I think, though, he's shown a lot of intriguing signs. I really have. But I don't know if they want to go into games setting protections with a rookie right tackle, a rookie left tackle, and essentially a rookie center.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair Point to make and going back on a little bit of what we discussed on previous podcasts continuity 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 being so important on the offensive line you might not want to make that switch for that reason but ultimately this is a team that needs to be forward looking and i agree with you after the bye week at the very latest i would like to see pert replace fleming if fleming was somewhere in the middle of the pack as far as grades go and as far as what we see on tape at the tackle position i'd have a different opinion but considering how bad fleming has been i think ultimately pert can't be that much worse i really do believe that
2: yeah, I think it would come down to, uh, like again, the continuity, the protections and all that kind of Because that's a huge part of the past game.
1: Pass game-wise, he could potentially yeah. be considerably... But how much worse can you be than the 2nd worst tackle in the NFL? I honestly <laughs> think
2: from <laughs> a, a pass protection standpoint in terms of how I can hold up, he might be better than Cameron Fleming. I think Fleming yeah. might have an edge on him in the run game, but it's more so pre-snap, setting yeah. protections, knowing your assignments, yeah. being able to execute exotic stunts and being able to not be a kind of person to attack because the Giants already have that on their offensive line and Cam Fleming say what you want about him he's started for the Patriots he started limited for the Cowboys as well he's been a player who's been around the NFL from a mental processing standpoint he's there he's just athletically limited and he's definitely doesn't have the nimble feet of someone like Matt Perry
1: yeah he's a replacement level player who had a couple good seasons with a great Patriots coaching staff and it's kind of been able to carry those on to a a decently long career in the sense that he was really not supposed to play for the Cowboys but did due to injuries and now the Giants have tried to kind of shoehorn him into a starting position because they had no depth of the position um ultimately that's kind of his path but all but I'm I'm not willing to kind of look at a player like that and be like "eh, let's keep him in the lineup i i, I want to move on i mean especially when you dig deep into these numbers and just see how many pressures he's given up and just how poorly he's graded it's just it's tough to make the case even from the men i get all the points you made they're really important like people don't realize how much of that priest the mental the ability to process priest snap mentally on the offensive line gives these guys a chance to play in the nfl in general Absol- um,
2: absolutely i mean that's yeah. there's a big reason why play clock runs out Mm -hmm. because there's so much you have to do
1: yes exactly so all that is 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 certainly true but we'll have to see what happens anyway nick anything else you want to touch on with the offense you want to wrap this up and get going with the defense next show
2: yeah let's wrap it up and go into the defense i think there's some bright spots over there on the defense usually uh, tends to be a little bit more bright yeah it tends to be and you know patrick graham's patrick graham
1: yeah no doubt so for those of you fans of the show Thank you again for tuning into Big Blue Banter Podcast. At some point, this thing will turn more focus to the future. Um, we're gonna try to work that into every episode, both of the all twenty-two in the reactions. There's gonna be we're gonna have to start talking about building blocks and what this team does moving forward to become a more competitive football team ultimately. Um, but right now, if you want to help us grow the show, all you really have to do is follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter and give us a rating and download and subscribe on iTunes. Don't be that guy or girl who gives us a one-star rating because I spent 10 minutes bitching about Wisconsin quarterback getting COVID. Just instead, just enjoy that. Please commiserate with me. Have some empathy for my situation, uh, my first-world problem right now. So please, please, all jokes aside, do us the favor. Hook us up on iTunes. That's all we'll ever ask from you. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll speak to you soon.